everybody that's in the room. Good morning, good morning, Sheridan Hills. It is great to see you, and uh, we wish you were here with us, but there's a few people that are gathered right here in the ministry center this morning as we come together to worship as a church family. Apparently, we made the right call because as we began, just in the last couple of minutes, it started pouring rain here at the church. So this was a very, very good call. We're glad that we've been able to do this. We appreciate all of you for bearing with us during this time. So many of you have joined us, maybe have never even been to the church uh, at its physical location, but you've been joining us online. We welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to our covenant members, you've received a couple of emails from me over the last week. Um, some of you are getting a letter in the mail even uh, yesterday or tomorrow. And uh, we just long to be together. We look forward to the opportunity when we will finally be able to worship together again. And that's not too far away. I know that in time we will be able to do that. Things will go back um, to a rather normal pre-corona state eventually. Um, but we're not there yet. So we want to enjoy these times that we have together. If you would, I'm going to ask you to focus on this passage with me. We're going to read a passage from Psalm 118. And then I'm going to pray, and then we are going to sing. And I want to encourage you, those of you that are at home, to sing with all of your heart. Don't just listen to us sing. Don't just watch us sing. I want to encourage you. The words are going to be there. It's good for your heart, good for your, your life as you remember the gospel truth with us. But listen to Psalm 118, verse 28 and 29. It says, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, we do recognize that you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. And so this morning as we come to worship, I pray that whether in this place at 3751 Sheridan Street, 
or at addresses all over South Florida and indeed even all over the United States and some places of the world. Father, that you would just come and, and inhabit our praise. We pray that you would live in our praise this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would live in your praise. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are a good God and that we can extol you, we can lift you up. And I pray that this morning that as we sing old hymns and new hymns, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts. Remind us of the gospel, I pray, Father, and that we would have great hope, that we would have joy because of what you have done for us. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you that are with us here this, this morning, stand with us and let's sing, lift up our voices as we sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise the Lord together, church. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help in salvation. All we who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. To the Lord, who are all things so precious and reigneth, his wings, he so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thou desires of heaven? Granted in what he Your boundless love unfailing. 
morning you guys may have a seat and uh, come on in and make your way in we are excited that you're here um, as well um, for those of you that are at home if you haven't already printed the notes I really want to encourage you to do that there are three pages today and there's certain scriptures that I think will be very helpful to you as you look at them either have your Bible really ready or have the notes printed out um, both of those are important I believe um, as we get going here, I just want to make a couple of recognitions of some great things that have happened this week. You know, the world is so full of bad news in so many ways, from biology to sociology to other things. We, we see all of this, this bad news. But I want you to see some good news this morning. Um, this week on Friday, Joe and Maggie Wilson and little Lily, Joe and Maggie and Lily, had a new addition to their family. Check this out. Here is Timothy. And uh, Timothy was born on Friday morning at 10.08 p.m. or a.m. And um, I think he was 32 inches long. And how, how long was he? Not 32 inches long. Oh, sorry? Julian. Okay, you told me Timothy. All right, so you were wrong. All right, so Julian. Sorry about that. But um, look at Julian, so scratch that, Julian uh, Wilson, um, haven't been able to see them yet, but have uh, texted with them a little bit, we're excited about that. Secondly, I want you to notice this, Gabby Gavrioli became a U.S. citizen on Friday. He was so excited, and uh, this is a Romanian brother who has been just a, a dear brother in the life of the church, he and his wife. 
um, from Romanian background, and uh, they, were, they were so excited about that. We say congrats to that. He, listen to what he said. Gabby told me this. He said, you know, Pastor, now I have three citizenships. He said, Romania, I was able to hold on to that. The U.S., I'm able to have that. But he said the most important one is my citizenship in heaven. And um, he said that was a great and defining thing. So we, uh, we rejoice that even amidst these difficult days, good things are happening around us. And um, uh, take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue this uh, great study um, of one of the most encouraging uh, books of the Bible, a book of the Bible that really deals with the heart and deals with the heart um, in the realities of trouble, in the realities of struggle, but the joy of God that just oozes from this text at every chapter. There's only four little chapters in Philippians, and every single one of them are laden with the joy that we have in Christ. And um, this is a a wonderful letter of encouragement. Many people have called it, many commentators have often called it the letter of encouragement. And so uh, the, this morning we come to just a few simple words in verse 5 that we could build uh, a month of sermons on, though we'll just take one Sunday for it. So uh, let's pray together as we turn to the Word of God. Lord, this morning we turn to Philippians 4 again. And Lord, we are so grateful for the timeliness of your word. In Isaiah 55, you told us that your word goes out and it does not return void without accomplishing that for which it was sent. So you have sent this word to us and you are going to fulfill your purposes with it. And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that now. I pray that we would come and sit at your feet. I pray that we would come and sit at your word. And Lord, I pray that as we read scripture this morning, um, not only from Philippians, but from numerous other places in your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, you have told us through your word to give attention to the public reading of scripture. And so this morning, we, we love these passages that we're about to read. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would recalibrate us. Lord, we have so many messages from the world hitting us, um, either through our phones or through websites or through conversations. Lord, we need your message hitting us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would renew our minds. I pray that you would transform our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would hear and obey your word. In the glorious name of our Savior who gave his life for us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in Philippians, we recognize that we, we see some common threats to local churches, and uh, we've noticed that over the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's go ahead and look at these again. You have your notes there, hopefully. Um, look at the first one. It's the threat of instability. He says, stand firm. It's easy to get knocked over in this life. The world is moving fast, and the world is, is filled with all kinds of turmoil, and Christians are told to remember the truth and stand firm in the truth. Look at the number two, the threat of persecution. There is a very real adversary in this age. There is a very real opponent to the truth, an opponent to God. Now, he's on a short leash. The Lord knows what he's doing. And, and even Satan, as we see in the book of Job, is ultimately 
in, in bondage to what God's will ultimately is. He, he cannot step beyond those things. But there is persecution of God's people. And God is working even through that um, for his glory in us. Look at number three. There is the threat of false teachers. This is mentioned throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. There is truth, but we live in a world that has much falsehood. There is the truth of God that we are called to come and learn and know. And that's what God's people do. They love the truth. They glory in the truth. They learn the truth. They study the truth. They hold on to the truth. They don't let the messages of the world destabilize them. Look at number four. It's the one that we've been studying the last couple of days, or the last couple of Sundays. It's the threat of disunity. Every church has a threat of disunity. And uh, we see this in the previous verses in chapter four, where Paul actually calls out the name of two women that were having trouble getting along. And do you remember what he says about that? He challenges them. Hey, everybody right here. What does he challenge them to do? Do you remember? He says, encourage these two women to agree but to agree how very good to agree in the lord they said it everybody who's out in tv land they just said it they they say they said to agree in the lord go back and look at those first couple of verses in philippians 4 paul says you need to agree in the lord and then what does he challenge them to do the rest of that little section is challenging the rest of the church that is there to do what? To help those two women get along. The rest of the church is to come to the aid of the unity of the church. You see, the unity of the church is not just the responsibility of the pastors. The unity of the church is not just the responsibility of the deacons. The unity of the church is the responsibility of all of us. You remember I shared with you that Pastor Billingsley talked about it's a precious gem that you've been given and that you're to carry it through a dangerous place. And he very dramatically hid that precious gem and he said, how would you you carry that gem if you were given that, that, that precious jewel? He said you would protect it, you would value it, you would, you would hide it in a special way. And so that is exactly what the church must do in this. And this is, this is so important for us in this day and time because as we see, our culture is ripping apart at the scenes. Our culture has all of these fractures. It has all of these tears in it. We see that that's what happens in a fallen world. Our God is a God of unity. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God of true relationship that is intimate and loving and good and satan loves to tear that apart that's what he's constantly doing between every husband and wife he is wanting to tear that apart between every parent and child he is wanting to tear that apart between every friend he wants to tear that apart disunity is his game that's what he loves but the game of god The serious work of God is the unity that he has designed us for. Sin separates, the Savior unites. That's what God's plan is. When we see it in in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit perfectly united, 
perfectly relating to one another. So in God's own essence, we see what he intends in this, and we see that in a fallen world where it is broken, we see a constant tension to pull us apart. So remember, the, and I want you to see a side note. I haven't mentioned this yet, and I have it here on your notes. Important side note of verses four through eight. First of all, let's read verses four through eight as we move on. Last week, we looked at verse four, which is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, but look at verse five. Let your reasonableness be, be known to everyone. That's what we're studying this morning. Let your reasonableness be, made, be, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That means the Lord is near to us. Look at verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So these, these very, very special verses, chapter 4, verses 4 through really 8, as we'll see, really kind of go together as a group. And I want you to notice this about this series, about this series of commands. Notice this. Though this is a series of commands to Christians, notice how God is at the center of it all. It's not just commands for us to do something or to not do something. God is in the center of each one of these commands. Notice, how many times is the Lord mentioned in this passage? How many times is the Lord mentioned in this passage? Can we read it? Take your pen, get ready to circle these. In verse 4, how many times is he mentioned there? You see it once. Rejoice in what? The Lord. Circle that. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What does it say? The Lord is at hand. Circle that one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to who? To God. Circle that. And then look what it says in verse 7. And the peace of who? God will surpass all, all understanding, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in who? In Christ Jesus. You see, so these commands, God is just at the center of this whole thing. We just need to recognize that if the church has any hope for being unified, if the church has any hope for doing what it's supposed to do, we have to stay focused on God, not upon ourselves. Now, the world says, just stay focused on you. You just be you. You demand your preferences. You, you go for what you want. You do personalization for you. I mean, with your felt, I've often said this. You know, we, a few years ago, back before many of you were born in this room, um, every computer looked the same. And every computer had the same background. And every computer had the same stuff. There were no iPhones, smartphones, iPads, and all that kind of thing. But Apple started saying, hey, you know what? I don't want their background. I want my background. 
And so this personalization thing from fonts to colors, to it started with screensavers. You remember that? It started with just screensavers. You, could, you know, if you leave the computer alone, then your own screensaver would come up and you could choose a picture, you could choose a design, or you could, first it was all these squiggly lines that would run all over the place, and then they added color squiggly lines. I mean, it sounded, but everybody was, and they would set their screensaver down to like 20 seconds so that, you know, it would come on all the time and everything. I, I, I remember that so but personalization became the issue nothing wrong with that but you know at first it was really just a few radio stations that were available to you back decades ago but now then more and more radio stations and then with the explosion of digital media you you can select exactly a very thin tranche a very thin slice of a type of music that's very specialized to your to your enjoyment we live in a world that caters to our wants. And we can change it to be exactly what we want. The individualization of our preferences. Now that's kind of neat in some ways, but that can also become very dangerous. When we begin to always focus on what we want instead of what, what maybe the group needs, what the herd needs, what all of us need. And so, and so there's, a, there's a dangerous thing that when the message of the Bible is saying, wait a minute, it's not just about you, it's about, it's about you and those around you. And it's about God. We need to recognize that God is calling us to see that he is in the center of this and the focus is not just on us. In fact, you remember with me, I, I've called you to just kind of recognize this, that, that there's a dance that God wants to do with us. It's, it's as if you're on a ballroom floor and the Lord is the leading partner and you've been called to dance with him. Miguel, you've been called to dance with the Lord. Let him lead. And you're, you're involved. It's not like you're, he's carrying you on everything. He's allowing you to move with him. He's allowing you to work with him. And he's, he's leading in the movement. That, that is the picture of this life with God. That he is such an interactive God. He's such a relational God. He invites us to enter into that with faith and obedience to him. And that pleases him when we are, are trusting him and when we are obeying him. And so that's just an important side note. God is at the center of this and he calls humans to obey but as we obey, we recognize that he is in the center of it all. So there's steps to spiritual, to spiritual stability. I want you to see these. The first two we've already studied. Number one, we said cultivate harmony with others. You remember that word cultivate, agricultural term. It's a lot of hard work. You have to cultivate this in your life and in your church. Um, he deals with that problem of two women, and the whole church has to work on this as unity. Number two, he says, maintain a spirit of joy in God. Look at verse four. It says, rejoice, what? In the Lord. It's not just act like you're happy and your, you know, your feelings will follow. 
Um, there's, there's a little bit of that that's necessary in life, that's true. But the, the, the real picture here, though, is rejoice in the Lord. And again, he says, I, I say rejoice. So what we said about that verse was, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that passively happens to you. It's a command for you to do. It's urgent. He says it twice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And then the third one, it is God-centered. Rejoice what? In the Lord. So you, you don't just rejoice in you or rejoice in your accomplishments or rejoice in you know, your surroundings around you. You rejoice in God. And here's the big one. Rejoicing in the Lord requires faith. Because there's sometimes when you don't feel like rejoicing. Feelings are, are way down the list. But faith says, no, I know the truth of God. And I'm going to stay in the truth of God, whether I feel like it or not. You see, that's part of what the world doesn't understand on so many things in life. That there's, that there's right and there's wrong. There's wise and there's foolishness. And sometimes that, that's really what we need to recognize is that I may want to do this or I may not want to do this. You may not want to go to work, but you know what? The rent's got to be paid. The mortgage has to be paid. I got to go to work. And so you, you, many of us do that diligently, and, and most people in this society right now, they do that diligently, but you know, that's just one example. What about the many other areas of your life where you need to stay in obedience to that and stay in discipline to that which is there? We have to hold on to the truth. By faith, we hold on to the fact that God has a plan, that God has a way for us, and that is part of rejoicing in him even when we don't feel like it. Rejoicing always, even in the good times and what are perceived to be the bad times. Well, this morning we look at number three, and it comes from verse five. Just read verse five. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's study that, what that means. Number three, I want to say it like this. Learn to accept less than you are due. Did you hear what I said? Learn to accept less than you are due. Now that, that just kind of goes against everything we hear, right? Everything we hear around us is don't settle for anything less than you're due. But you know, that's not at all the attitude of God. God is due so much more, and yet he is so patient with us. He is so gracious with us. He is so merciful to us. He forbears with us. You see, God is saying, do what I do in this passage. Look at the passage again in verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, let's, let, let's look at how this is translated. The New American Standard says, uh, notice here, and you all that are here in the room, just call these out when I get to the underlined word here. The NASB, that's the New American Standard Bible, so these are different translations. The NASB says, let your what? Gentle spirit, Gentle spirit be known to all men. The Look at the next one, the Christian Standard Bible says, let your Gracious. graciousness be known to, to everyone. The King James Version says, let your Honor. 
moderation be known to everyone. The NIV says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then the, the New Living Translation says, let everyone do what? See that you are considerate in all you do. You say, okay, well, Pastor, what is going on? Why are all these different words there? Because isn't reasonableness different than gentle spirit, gracious, and moderate? I mean, aren't these all different? Here's part of the deal. When you're looking at languages, and this happens with all languages, not just Koine Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew, but all languages, there are certain concepts in a language that maybe your language um, has several different words that, it, that could be translated for it. Maybe it's a, it's a powerful, broad, colorful, very colorful expression, a very colorful description. And so it, it, it kind of goes with a, a whole line of thinking. And if you look at these words, this is a whole line of thinking that is here. And that's why the translators are having trouble to be real consistent with that. Um, and so, does that make sense a little bit? And so, uh, I, but, I, but I think it's beautiful. The Greek word that you see down here at the bottom, the ESV translated the reasonableness. Now, when I first was studying this, I thought, I don't like that. I, I don't like that translation, the reasonableness. And as I thought about it and prayed about it and studied it, the more, um, here's what they're saying. The reasonableness isn't just that you are reason, that you reason well. But think about this. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody and you were either pleasantly surprised or you were somewhat disturbed in that conversation because of their either ability to be reasonable or their inability to be reasonable? Have you ever felt that way before? I mean, have you come home from the store and said to your mom and dad, Man, this customer was so, what, unreasonable. I mean, no matter what I said, it would not reason. I mean, he just, he was set in his way or she, she, whatever. And you're just, you know, you're just thinking they were so unreasonable. Um, or you, you have something going on, you know, you're buying a house or you're building something or you're working a deal, you know, you're working through a problem with a car and you're there dealing with the shop and everything and, you know, you're working through it and, and they're not unreasonable, but instead they seem very reasonable. They, you know, you said, well, I'm sorry, but if this happened like this and this happened, like, how did this happen? And they go, oh, you know what? Maybe you're right. Um, and you're sitting there, you're shocked because they're so reasonable. You, you see, that's, that's kind of this line of thinking too in this, that they're, that they're being gentle, they're being gracious, they're being thoughtful, they're being considerate. And so when the Apostle Paul is talking about how do Christians get along at church, they have to be like that. They can't just, they can't just stake out their territory and say, bam, this is it. Now, I, you know, I want to be careful here. When we're talking about doctrinal truth, there, there, is, there are some very strong parameters in, in primary issues of salvation. You know, there's not a lot of movement there. There's not a lot of room there where we're going to compromise the truth just because somebody views it differently. But there's a lot of things that aren't primary issues that cause problems in churches, including maybe the color of the carpet. Or, you know, you know, how the children's ministry is doing its thing or how the, the adult ministry is doing its, its thing. You know, there, there's all these other things that can come along 
and cause there to be an ungracious, unreasonable spirit. You see how rich God's word is? Isn't this rich? Notice this. Um, this, this word, this reasonable, says, here's the idea. It's not just about you, but others too. That's what Paul is saying to this. That's what the Lord is saying to us through Paul. Notice these other words that are listed here. And these uh, two or three different commentators mentioned all these. Contentment, that means, that means being content, uh, you know, being satisfied. Gentleness, uh, some would say gentleness. Others would say generosity. Others would say having goodwill. How about this one? Mercy or leniency toward faults and failures. So that next line is, a, is one in itself. Mercy or leniency toward, you know, everybody messes up. Being reasonable with somebody is recognizing, you know, it, you know it, he messed up. It, it's, it's the way it went, and, and we gotta work through this. How about this last one? Patience in the face of injustice or mistreatment. One commentator wrote that, and he wrote it about 60 years ago, 70 years ago. So long before this last week. <laughs> long before any of these things. He, he wrote this idea that, you know, there's, there's been injustices going on through human history since the beginning. And it's because we live in a fallen and sinful world. And today, there are injustices going on in this country in many, many different ways, not only about racial issues, but about economic issues, about, about vocational issues, about work, and various other things. There's all kinds of injustices that are possible. And you look at Africa, and you look at Asia, and you look at South America, and all through all of those continents, they have their own silos of injustice that are in there. Why? Because they're fallen humans. There's always going to be those things that, that when we come to God, God is saying, okay, well, once you've come to me, let me show you how you deal with these injustices. Let me show you how we work through this. Let me show you what brings me glory. You see, perhaps the best English word that encapsulates all of this, and I agree with John MacArthur on this, he says, um, perhaps the word graciousness is the best word. Fill that in, the word graciousness. Perhaps that's the best word that encapsulates verse five. But let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, I want to move quickly and let you see why this is so important. Learning to, on page two, learning to accept the less than you are due brings stability and unity to your church, to your life, and notice these, fill this in, to your church, this is what will bring stability and unity to your church, is, is coming to that spiritual thing of accepting less than you are due. A church can't get along with one another if everybody has staked out their territory, their preferences, and are demanding it. Won't ever happen. How about this? How about your family? I mean, and this is talking about the context of the church, but what about the family? You know, a marriage has got to be a two-way street here. There has to be a flexing. There has to be a deferment to the other. There has to be a, a esteeming the other's values and the other's desire, um, both with parents and with children as well. 
How about this, and this is one of the hot ones for us in this day and time, our society. It has to be this way to the society as well. We have to be able to learn to accept less than you are due. And that is, that is part of the reason, and, and I'm not specifically talking about the African-American plight and saying, to them, you just have to accept it. I don't mean that at all. I want to be very clear about that. I know our, our, our tensions are very high on that right now, but I, I want us to see the spiritual picture that is here so that we can start to say, okay, well, how does, how does this work for all of us, and how does this work for especially God's people? because we see this um, all around us. You see, number one, this is the opposite, and this is where we get the title of the message this morning. This phrase, let your reasonableness or let your graciousness be known to everyone, is the opposite of the cancel culture that we live in. And some of you are saying, what is the cancel culture? Some of you kind of know what that is. Some of you are kind of confused about that. We live increasingly in a culture where if somebody disagrees with something, it's over. I'm done. That's it. I mean, cancel the program. The person said, you know, maybe one thing, you know, great program, whatever. person said one thing that was stupid, and boom, it's over. The commentator, the news, crew, the news person, you know, in the midst of their hours and hours of hours, in the midst of a crisis, probably going on very, very little sleep, says something that, man, that just really was the wrong thing to say at the moment, and whammo, their career is over. Everybody wants their head. Everybody wants them gone. Um, and that happens on both sides, right? That, that happens on both sides, whether it's conservatism or whether it's, um, you know, more of the leftist agenda. E either side, it, it can be like that. But that can also be the case in a family. And that can also be the case in a church. And if, listen to this, if the outside culture is doing that more and more, there's less graciousness, there's less forbearance, there's less patience, there's less mercy, it, doesn't it seem to reason that eventually that can make its way into the church? That the people of God can be affected by the culture around us? I mean, how many times, I've talked to so many people in our, in our church family today that have said, man, I, I, you know, I didn't even respond to certain things that people were posting, and I started getting defriended, you know, on this. Now, I have to confess, I'm not on social media, so I, you know, I don't know the emotional trauma of that. Um, but, but I understand that, you know, it kind of, it kind of hurts when, when people take shots and all of that, um, at you, or you defriend or, or, you know, something along those lines. We, we see this cancel culture making it all the way down to the little world of defriending or friending someone, um, or attacking them online to the big culture um, issues um, of what we see really rumbling all around us. But again, we need to remember that this is written in the context of the church, but the context of the culture affects the context of the church. Look at this with me, some of these. Well, so the opposite of the cancel culture in which we currently live, where disagreements result in immediate and total rejection. That's what we often see. Disagreements result in immediate and total rejection where people are less and less capable of, listen to this, of rational thinking and discussion. 
We live in a day and time where there's less rational thinking and being able to simply work on something, discuss something. Immediately, we go from zero to 60 in the emotion of the moment or the emotion of the issue. And so immediately there, there comes a, a thing of calling names and making broad sweeping statements about one another. Look at the next one. Where everyone is shouting and no one is listening. Um, I would recommend to you a book by Timothy Keller. Uh, many books by Timothy Keller, but one of them was The Reason for God. And in the opening of The Reason for God, he describes two towers um, and two towers that are there, and one tower of believers and one tower of atheists, and it comes to where, if you look at what the modern-day culture is, no one is now is really discussing or even debating anything anymore. Both sides are just shouting, shouting and attacking. No one is listening to the merits of an argument and seeking to work through it in a civil way. Um, it, it's, it's moved to an attack. Now that's, that's part of what we see in the spirit of the, what I call the spirit of this age, and the spirit of this age is where our love for one another is growing cold. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. The love for one another grows cold, and, and people become more barbaric in their responses to one another. Whether it be conservative or more, as I said, non-conservative, or whether it be sometimes even Christian versus non-Christian. Christians are not to act that way. Christians are not to be just shouters who do not listen. Christians are not to be attackers. And, and as we'll see here, notice these next ones here, where there is little or no tolerance of other thought or decision. Um, we live in a world and we live in a country where you're supposed to be able to disagree with one another and still live with one another in peace. But we, we live in an increasing circumstance where, where the allowing of disagreement is less and less. Look at the next one here. Where disagreement results in mischaracterization and even retribution, where we immediately begin to take one thing that someone has said and destroy them with it. Um, and, and the whole world of electronic communication lends itself to that. How many times have you heard a news report about whether a politician has said or an individual has said, and it is put out as a story that he said this, when if you read the whole context of it, they intentionally selected that little phrase, that little maybe five-second clip, ignoring the context of what they said. And he actually or she actually was saying the exact opposite of it. That's what we mean by mischaracterizing or making a broad statement in that, reg in that regard. How about this? This cancel culture also where disagreement results in total destruction of others. It's, it's no longer, okay, well, I disagree with that, and I, we can agree to disagree. Instead, it's, I'm going to destroy you. I want your job. We, we have someone here in our church that was, that was standing for a, uh, a politician. Was, it was simply, it was like near election day, and it was simply saying, hey, I'm, you know, I want to encourage you to vote for this person. Christians don't, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can't have a political opinion. Of course you can. Um, we, we try to keep that very low at church, though where there's moral issues, we're going to talk about it. Um, we really are. 
Um, and, and that's, you know, that's always a, a thing that we want to be very careful about. But one of our church members was simply there and someone came to them and said, who do you work for? And this person started to, tar- started to say, I'm going to have your job. And, and just this person was attacking our church member who was simply saying, hey, I'm voting for this person. I want to encourage you to vote. I'd be glad to talk to you about that. They couldn't even talk about it because this person wanted to destroy this brother and destroy his life simply because he holds a certain position on moral issues. Now, that's, that's the cancel culture that we're talking about. There's a no tolerance. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no, there's no acceptance um, of, an, of the idea of we can agree to disagree. So I want you to notice here that I've put here, the spirit of the age rages against verse 5. The spirit of the age, the spirit of, of our whole mentality and our culture, and the, not just America, the world today. Somebody, I was talking to somebody this week, um, uh, Nicole um, was just saying, as we, as we were visiting a little bit, she said, oh yeah, no, this, all this stuff is going on in Chile too. She said, but that kind of happens a lot in Chile. She said, you know, we have a lot of anarchists that are wanting to always um, kind of destroy the government and destroy everything. And, and she said, um, we're a little bit more used to it than you guys are. But, um, you know, the, the spirit of the age is strong there too, as, as we were talking about that. And we, we see that around the world. Um, but let's, let's look and see Look at verse 5 again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. See, this is not only the opposite of the cancel culture, but number two, this is exactly what we see in the life and saving work of Christ Jesus. Jesus did this. The thing that Paul is telling us to do for the health of the church and for our lives, for our families, and even our society— Jesus did this. This was the embodiment of who he was. And, you know, the Bible does tell us, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So I want us to, to read these passages. I want you to see this. If you're, if you're um, watching online, be careful to, to really read these and see these. I think we're putting them up on the screen. Look at Philippians chapter 2. We've, we've studied, studied this a couple of months ago. In Philippians chapter 2, we see that Jesus did this. He was forbearing with us in an amazing way. Look at verse 1. It says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, here it is, count others more significant than yourselves. That's what the world has a problem with. That's where racism comes from. And that's where intolerance comes from. That's where the culture, can, the cancel culture comes from, is that we're unwilling to do that one. Do you see that? Look at verse five. Here's, here's the example. Here's where Christ is. Look at verse five. In fact, let's read verse five out loud together. I want to make sure you guys are with me. Look at verse five. If you're at home, shout it at the television, okay? Look at verse five. Here we go. Let's read it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Keep going, verse seven. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Stop right there. Jesus did this. Jesus was forbearing with us. Jesus leaves the halls of heaven and he, he, he was due far more than becoming a man. And not only he was due far more than just becoming a man, he was due far more than becoming a man who would be mistreated. And so Jesus is the ultimate example of what Paul is telling us to do. This is the way a church stays together. This is the way a marriage stays together. This is the way that a couple grows old and their children love them because their children have learned to do this and they have learned to do this with their children. So notice he, he empties himself. He goes, look at verse nine. Therefore God, had, well, excuse me, I wanna read verse eight. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't deserve to die on a cross. He accepted far less than was due him, ultimately less than was due him. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is exactly what Jesus would do. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, and I probably have underlined some things here. Look with me in verse 16. It says, from now on, therefore, so important, underline this, from now on, therefore, Regard no one according to the flesh. That, isn't it, wouldn't that be good for the world to hear right now? Don't regard anyone according to the flesh. See that they are in the image of God as a person. It doesn't have to do with the accent of their tongue or where they come from or the color of their skin. Notice this. Now, from now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He's saying Jesus was here, and we saw him to regard. In French, regard means to look, to see. So we, we regard him. When Christ was here, we saw him in the flesh. But now he's saying we don't see him in the flesh anymore like this. He's ascended to the Father. And what we know about him, it's far more, it's far greater. Look at this with me. Uh, this is so good. This is so rich. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God. Can you circle that? All this is from God. Paul's saying, this isn't from me, Paul, this isn't from somebody else. This is from God. And that's, that's so beautiful. Who through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and underline it, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see that God is the reconciler? God is the uniter. That is that in Christ, that in Christ, God was reconciling to the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he's, he's come and he's given us that message. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, this is so key, verse 21, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that Jesus is the embodiment of this, learning to accept less than you are due? That is exactly how the church survives. That is exactly how your family survives in a fallen world. That is exactly how a society can survive. Look at Romans 5.10. For if we for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, that we shall be saved by his life. That's what Pastor Lucas prayed at the beginning of this service, that when we were God's enemies, God came and he reconciles us. God comes and he lays down his life for us. Um, we, we, we just, we, we see that this is the beauty of the powerful gospel of Christ, that what we didn't deserve, we get. This is the grace of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the way God works. Flip the sheet. Last page, page three. And again, this is all exactly what we see in the life of Christ, that we are learning to accept less than we're due. In Matthew chapter five, verse 43 through 48, and remember with me, Matthew chapter five, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of Jesus's, really Jesus's opening message um, that is really recorded in great detail. And he's saying, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say, if you hate your brother, what? You're a murderer. You say don't commit adultery, but I say if you lust after a woman, you've slept with her. And so Jesus is saying, you guys think you got the law figured out and you, you've divided it all up so you can quote unquote keep the law in your mind, but Jesus is saying you'll never keep the law perfectly. You've all blown it. You all need a messiah and that's jesus at the beginning of jesus's ministry he's basically saying to us we can look at it now when we see the whole thing together this is what he's saying you need me you need me to come and save you and so this is the final one uh, that he mentions here that was part of their common thought about those things. You know, as long as I don't murder anyone, you know, whatever, and then they would just go on to hate somebody, or as long as I don't sleep with her, you know, then they would just go on and live their life of sensuality and thinking about things. Here we see, he says in verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So it was common thought in that day and time. You can love your neighbor, you know, it's good to love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. Look at verse 44. But I say to you, again, so this is the antithetical statements. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Underline that in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Wow. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? 
You therefore, here's the statement, you there must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Will you underline that? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the last statement in this section of Jesus' sermon. And what he's saying is, you, you desperately need the Messiah to save you because you're not going to be accepted by God because you're not perfect. You must be perfect if you're going to be accepted by God. Notice this. This forbearance, this patience, this mercy and graciousness of God to sinners is what allows them to be made saints. God is forbearing with us. God is merciful with us. So we as sinners, we're, we're never going to be made holy unless God is forbearing with us, and that's exactly how he saves us. This is what Jesus did. You see, when someone is saved, they are washed clean. Now, saints are not all of those statues that are around St. Peter's Square um, or that are, that are you know, worshipped in the Vatican. Um, that, that's a common thought. Oh, well, you know, you got to wait until maybe you can get sainthood and it's only the super holy rollers that get sainthood. You know, they have to have a miracle and they have to do this and they have to do all that. Absolutely not. That's not at all what the scripture teaches. The scripture shows that anyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and have been washed from washed clean by the blood of the Lamb is called the saint, the saints of God. And that's why we see letters written to the saints who are at Ephesus, to the saints that are at Philippi. And so here we see that the only way that we can be made saints is because God was forbearing, is because God accepted less than was due him. Look at the next one. It is also what empowers those saints to live, empowers them to have ongoing fellowship with each other and with God. This is the way that we can continue with God is because God is forbearing with us. And how do we continue with each other? Because we have to be forbearing with each other. Finally, notice this. It is what empowers them, that's the, those who are saved, to show the love of Christ to those who do not know him. This is, this is what we do. It's not just that we bless those who bless us, it's that we bless those who curse us. That, that is the way of God. We cursed God and he still comes and blesses us. Now if God did that for us, we are called to do that with one another and for others. I want you to notice this in 1 John chapter 4, a key indicator of saving faith in Jesus and sonship with God is found in 1 John chapter 4 verse 17 and it goes right with Philippians chapter 4. Look what it says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Everybody read verse 8 out loud. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I'm going to keep going. Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or right below that the satisfaction for our sins and so we didn't love God but he loved us we didn't love God first 
He loved us first. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, underline it, we also ought to love one another. And loving one another involves being forbearing, involves being forgiving. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, what does it say? He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so friends, this is, this is evident that if you have hatred in your heart toward a church member, if you have hatred in your heart toward a family member, if you have hatred in your heart toward people in our society, and brother can be used both to refer to Christian, but it can also be referred to other fellow inhabitants on earth. And I believe that that is the picture here, um, that this is the broad understanding of this, in, in, but it applies to both. The picture is that we are to be characterized by love. If Jesus came loving a lost and dying world, we are called to do the same. How is it possible for us to love one another? People would say, okay, well, pastor, I'd really love to do that, but you don't know what has been done to me. You don't know the, the, uh, the, the offenses that have been committed against me, maybe by a family member or maybe by a church member or maybe in society. Um, how is it possible for us to get over that and to love others and work our way through this? I believe that there's only one way to do that truly legitimately, and it's found in Romans chapter 5. Here's, look what it says. Because the love of God, and then underline these words, has been poured out. Circle the word out. For the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Friends, this is the way that you can love those who have hurt you. This is the way that you can love the ones who seem to be unlovable in your life. It's not you loving them. It's God loving them through you. That's the answer. Victor, you're going to have clients you're gonna have colleagues that you look at them and you think, I cannot love this guy. I mean, how, what's lovable about him? And I'm gonna look at you and say, you're right, Victor, you can't. But God can love this guy through you if you will let him. This is the beauty of what God calls us to do. That he does it. In fact, in Philippians 4.13, that we're about to study, he says, I can do all things if I really strengthen my courage. Is that what it says? It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so this is the way that we can love church members. This is the way that we can love the people that are around us. This is the way that we can love our enemies. It's that God does it. Now, I had you circle the word out because, and, I, and I'm very, very disappointed in the ESV because the ESV does not include the word out. And all of the, um, the Greek Hebrew words that are connected to this verb uh, or to this word 
um, are, are connected and they, they indicate the idea, and if I had a picture here this morning, I would do it. It's the idea that you didn't just get, the love of God didn't just get poured into you, Bryson. It says that the love of God was poured out into you, which means that as Christians, we have been given all of the love of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was given to us. Look what the verse, look what the verse says. Look, everybody look at verse five. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, how? Through the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that we have the Holy Spirit. And this is why we say, you can't love this person, but God can love this person through you if you will allow him to do so. Friends, this is the answer to Sheridan Hills being a healthy church. This is the answer to your marriage being a strong marriage. This is the answer to the glorious picture of societal need for reconciliation. I, I just want to say to you, church family, this is how we move forward, even as a society. You know, our society is really hurting, and they don't understand this, and they only know the route of force and demand and, and all, of, all of these anxieties. But we, as the church, can show them a different way. We can show them what it looks like for people to love one another on the merits of the fact that they are made in the image of God. It does not matter what color they have of their skin. It doesn't matter the accent of their tongue. It doesn't matter even very often within reason, uh, general political um, views. There are people in this church that come from a pretty uh, liberal perspective. There are people in this church that come from a pretty conservative perspective. In fact, there's two guys in our church that are kind of are, are almost on polar opposite ends of that um, traditionally in them, and they, they love one another deeply, and they're actually partners in business together, and, and they, they care for one another genuinely, even though they view things politically quite differently. Now, that's the common denominator of the bond of Christ, is it not? That's where the reasonableness comes in. It's not, it's not flash emotion. It's not it's not the issue of hatred and rejection. It's the picture of a reasonableness that God's word talks to us about. I hope and pray that this is helpful to you. I hope and pray that this helps recalibrate you as you watch the television. Um, I want to say to you, Bryson, can you hand me these books over here? Um, I, I'm going to take just a minute and just share with you a few books. One of them, the first book I'm going to mention to you is one that was recommended to me by Hillary Clinton um, 10 years ago. I was watching an interview with her, and she was talking about um, this book called, and you, you can be Vanna for just, okay, there you go. All right, thanks. Thank you, Bryson. Um, and, and not that I necessarily even recommend that everybody would read this, but I read this book called The Big Sort um, about, I guess, about seven or eight years ago. And this secular writer, from a rather liberal perspective, um, really not my typical perspective, listen to the subtitle of this book, Why the Clustering of Like-Minded America is Tearing Us Apart. Why the Clustering of Like-Minded America is Tearing Us Apart. And this book even talks about, 10 years ago, talked about if this continues, we could go into civil war.
I mean, what we see happen in Africa, what we, till today, what we see happen in other places, th- th- this, this could be a real problem. And so this, this uh, Bill Bishop um, uh, writes that, and I, I started thinking, wow, that, it, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, you can, you, can, you can divide out your whole life to where you never have to deal with the people that you don't agree with. That's dangerous. And that's why I say one of the strongest things to fight racism is your kitchen table your dining room table, your home. I mean, that's how you learn to love one another. So many other books, How the Nations Rage, title taken from Philippians cha- or Psalm chapter two by Jonathan Lehman. This is about politics, um, you know, Republican versus Democrat or whatever. How, how can the church be unified over those types of great, great foolishness? Um, another one by Jarvis Williams, The One New Man. The Cross and Racial Reconciliation in Paul's Theology. So a study of what Paul writes in his letters. That's the Word of God. And a beautiful book by Jarvis, great guy. Um, the One New Man that We Are in Christ. And um, Don Carson wrote a great book explaining this idea of the intolerance of tolerance. When everybody says, oh, you gotta be tolerant, you gotta be tolerant, you gotta be tolerant. I am advocating tolerance, but not the kind of tolerance that we have had in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, what we talk about tolerance is actually intolerance. And you're not allowed to disagree with what the society has decided. And if you disagree, you are demonized. Um, A very similar, uh, excuse me, a very tiny book. Um, This one's brand new by Jonathan Lehman and Andy Nacelli that says, how can, I lo- how can I love church members with different politics? Now, this is one that you can also almost see through, Jackson, so you, you can just kind of read that one. Very, very, you can read that in one sitting. But this is a great, great little book in our, in our bookstore. And then the last one that I want to mention is Advocates, The Narrow Path to Racial Reconciliation. Great book by um, Dottie Lewis, um, just a biblically thinking guy, um, again, a very, very small but powerful book about how through scripture and through godly thinking we can truly be reconciled um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the last thing, that, the last resource I'll mention is one, uh, Vodi Bakum, great, great man of God, now lives in Africa, but uh, from right here in the United States, powerful preacher, um, his message, ethic, ethnic agnosticism, and he'll explain what that means is a powerful passage, um, uh, excuse me, a, a powerful sermon that I would recommend, that where he really gets into what is going on in our, in our social thinking today and how does it square with this kind of truth from the word of God. Um, I want to encourage you um, to be uh, looking at great resources. Let's pray together. I know we've gone a little long, but um, let's pray together. I pray that this has been helpful to you. Father, we need so much um, to be in your word. We need so much to read scripture together. We need so much for your word to really change the way we think. Lord, the world is strong. The spirit of the age is powerful. And we're tempted to go with the flow. But Lord, I thank you that you've called us to transcend the clamoring of the world, 
Lord, there is injustice, and it's horrible. And Lord, there is all kinds of oppression in many different directions. And Lord, I know that this breaks your heart because you have designed us to love one another, not tear one another apart. Lord, I pray that we as a church, aside from even the race issue, Lord, I pray that we would own this idea of forbearing with one another, of accepting less that is due to us, as you did to save us. And Lord, I do pray that it would affect race relations. I do pray that it would spill out into the culture that is around us. And they would see that the way of God is a way of sacrifice. A way of God is the way of mercy. A way of God is the way of esteeming one another more important than ourselves. And Lord, I pray that that message would call people to faith in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. It's so beautiful. It gives so much life. It helps us to see. Now, Lord, equip us to think rightly. Equip us to respond with words of love that are salt and light in a fallen world. I pray that you would help us with that. In the glorious name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, He Will Hold Me Fast. I don't know of a more appropriate song, Pastor um, Almeida, thank you for choosing this one. I want to encourage you to stand together and think about how Christ holds us fast in the good times and in the bad times and the tough times. Um, this, is, this is our great hope. Would you sing together?
to that. Praise God. He holds us fast. Sheridan Hills, it's been wonderful to be with you um, on this rainy Sunday morning. Um, We look forward to having a venue change where we can kind of spread out all across campus maybe and still uh, recognize some social distancing. So we're working on that a little bit where we can meet inside on the days that are like this. Um, But we look forward to uh, being together soon. Um, Wednesday night, we'll be studying the Bible again this Wednesday night, so I want to encourage you to be with us for that. A couple of other real quick announcements that we have, and uh, I want to just draw your attention to them. Giving uh, can be done in a multitude of ways. You can either uh, give online. That may be the easiest way in this day and time. You can mail your tithes and offering. You can uh, stop by the church office and give. You can give through our app. There's a lot of different ways for you to do that. You can download the app and get all the notifications um, for that. But I just want to commend you for your faithfulness in giving. And along those lines, we have an iServe members meeting coming up at the end of this month. And uh, we're going to meet in the Oak Grove. This is for covenant members of the church. And on that evening, we're going to hear some testimonies of what God has been doing um, in the life of the church during COVID. And as well, we're going to be looking at our annual church budget. Um, Our new budget will be uh, sought for affirmation on that night. If you haven't already received a letter from the pastors with the budget in it, you will do that probably tomorrow or Tuesday. It should hit your home, so hit your mailbox. So be looking for that, and I would ask you to carefully read that letter as we uh, consider the things that are coming up. July 6th through 8th, it's going to be family camp, and again, that'll be held in the Oak Grove late in the afternoons. Uh, We don't have school the next day um, for many of us, so there's going to be teaching on family life with activities for the kids. It's going to be a lot of fun, um, and we'll be eating something sweet on those evenings, though we're not going to be uh, having dinner together like we usually do for family camp. So we're going to change that a little bit, but um, it's going to be a rich time. I want to encourage you with that. Youth Conference is D3. It also is right around the corner. That's June 22nd through 25th, Um, a tremendous time Uh, for our young people as they go to a conference. um, This includes all their materials and everything else. It's $100 per kid, totally worth it. Um, If you don't have the 100 bucks, let us know, and uh, there may be some sponsors in the life of the church that would help some of our young people go. I believe that we need to be praying for our young people, Um, and it's because these current movements that are on social media, the current movements that are on the streets, are very, very powerful. And it's the kind of thing that we really want to support in many ways, 
No one should be, no Christian should stand for injustice. No Christian should stand for any of these kinds of oppressive things. We need to recognize that there are problems in our society. Um, and you know, let me just say that I believe every Christian should agree with the phrase, black lives matter. I agree with that phrase, but I will say I disagree with the roots of that organization. I disagree with many of the things that that organization stands for. And if you don't know what that organization stands for, just go to their website and read it. Um, it is not Christian and it's not helpful. It is not helpful to try to, to destroy the police. The police, the, the vast, vast majority of our police have, have faithfully served. We have many righteous police in our church. There are police that are here this morning that love Jesus and love to care for society. We need to recognize you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, there may be reforms that are demanded, and, I, and that we would agree with that. But we also want to recognize, again, what we've just preached, a prudence in how we move forward and solve the problems that are around us. It's certainly not by destroying everything that's around us, including, you know, Romans 13 says, our police are ministers of God to us. Um, so we, I just want to encourage you to be prayerful about these things, to be supportive of the things that are biblical, to be very careful about the things that are, that are unbiblical. So um, love one another is what the word says. Love one another. We want you to send your stories uh, and your photos to Sheridan Hills. Um, I want to encourage you to do that. If you've watched online this morning, take a picture of you, of your family if you haven't already, or maybe, maybe you're an individual. Just hold that camera up or get somebody, neighbor to come over and take a picture of you. We want to see that. We're kind of enjoying that, all of the good things that have happened in COVID, from babies being born to people getting married to people being baptized um, to people getting new jobs to people buying a new house. Uh, a lot of good things have happened during these days, and we want to celebrate those. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us before we go. Lord Jesus, go with us into this week. Help us to think biblically. And Lord, protect our hearts from being deceived in any way, shape, or form. And Lord, flow through us your love. Give us forbearance, grace, mercy, and words of life to a world that is so in such desperate need of that. In the strong name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. All right. We love you, Sheridan Hill. See you Wednesday night.
I was dead.